This is my family, mental illness, and me. My name is Pamela Jenkins, and I'm a researcher at the Mental Health Foundation. My mum, Irene, lived with a mental illness. There were voices only she could hear, and she could quickly switch from feeling very high to very low. No one ever talked about it with me when I was young, even though I knew my mum was often unwell. When I was in my 20s, that's when a psychiatrist told me that my mum had schizoaffective disorder. Sadly, I lost her quite recently to COVID-19. But even though she's gone, her mental health will always be a huge part of my life. In each of these podcasts, I'll speak to someone else whose parent has or had a mental illness. In the UK, there are at least 3 million children of parents with mental illness. If you're one, it's really important that you know you're not alone. My Family, Mental Illness and Me is a podcast series from the charity Our Time, with support from the Mental Health Foundation. Our Time champions and supports children of parents with mental illness and their families. We've put links to more information in the show notes. In this episode, we head to beautiful Norway to share stories with an award-winning actor and film director. Before we begin, I really want to be clear with you. Our guest this time talks about the circumstances of her mother's suicide. So it's important that if that sounds like it might be too difficult to listen to, please give this episode a miss or come back and listen another time. And as we always say, if you find you're affected by what you hear in these conversations, it's really important that you speak to someone. There are links to help in the show notes, but you can always contact your GP, the Samaritans on 116123 or Childline 0800 1111. It's really important to give that warning, but this is another great conversation and with someone who's channeled her difficult childhood experiences into her work and her art. I'm Camilla Srem Henriksen. I'm a writer-director and I'm Norwegian, based in London. Yeah, working in film and television. So I made a film a couple of years ago, which you, you might have seen. It's called Phoenix and it's possible to rent it on Apple or streaming devices. That was... Uh, largely built on my own experience from my own childhood. And it took me a long time to make that film for several reasons. But it was a story that when I realized I wanted to, to, to tell my own story and write my own stories, that was the story that kind of was pressing on and I needed to tell that story. Through that process, it was a very th- uh, therapeutical experience for me, actually, to, to make that film. And it brought that particularly difficult period or that traumatic experience, which which I will tell you about in a bit, just because that was my childhood's trauma was circling around some events. And so I based the film around that. Um, and yeah, so I think that sort of had helped me as well to keep some of these issues alive in a way, or in a, I'm in a dialogue with them, with them. And that film, the process of making the film help me with that dialogue so um, I'm just saying that because I think all kind of expressions of something you have experienced is really helpful whether you make a film or make a short story or draw a picture yeah absolutely you know I think that's kind of really helpful so that so that's a sort of a starting point so yeah so I grew up in Oslo in Norway I have a younger brother he's five and a half years younger than me and My mother, we lived with my mother after they got divorced. They had a quite turbulent relationship. So it was a a lot of back and forth. 
but he was a man with his own problems on his own account. So, so yeah, so it wasn't, um, I mean, it wouldn't have been ideal if he'd stayed either, I think. But my mother, she, she, so she, I don't know, she, there wasn't a diagnosis back then. I mean, this was, yeah, when I was growing up, you know, from the age of, let's say, eight when I think that was kind of when he first moved out and he's she started to have problems mental problems like seriously or more noticeably mm-hmm. there wasn't really a diagnosis although she went to therapy you know there I didn't hear any names or there wasn't really any but maybe something we would now call a borderline disorder or you know something like you know that that feels more like something that would you would have used I was going to ask what you remember her behaving like so I think she was seeing the world in very much in black and white so either you were with her or against her mm-hmm. so her family her parents and her older sister were kind of enemies and I felt you know it was very important to be her ally because if not, you know, I was also in that category of the people who didn't understand her. And so, so that was quite difficult. And she mm-hmm. was quite, I mean, she wasn't violent physically, but she was violent in her psyche, you know, in her outburst. So she, she was quite aggressive. Mm-hmm. So that was also something I felt that, um, yes, obviously affected me. And I, I felt that I had to be threading carefully around her. Yeah. And also, I had a younger brother, so, you know, I felt that I also was, you know, protecting him against her, well, against her outburst. But I also feel that I, as a daughter, was more exposed to her anger or resentment or whatever. So I think he, as a cute little boy, I mean, well, he was. So, <laughs> you know, and also a different sex. So, you know, being yeah. a boy, she, he somehow didn't represent a threat to her. You know, in my film, I, I said that in a period when, when she, when I, the young girl in, in the film, she's, yes, 14, because I think that's the age where you are, you know, going from a child or even 13, 12 now, you know, younger and younger these days, yeah. you know, going into puberty. But you know, you're turning in from being a child into a young woman. And I think that was also particularly threatening for my mum. Yeah. I mean, unconsciously, because she was, mm-hmm. she was, felt she lost her life, her youth, her beauty. I mean, she had this difficult relationship with my father, who was the long lost love of her life in her world. So I think age and sex had to do with the difficulty as well. And she was more and more reclusive so I felt that 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 world inside that flat was very much its own world how how would you compare your life within the flat and then your life outside the flat well I mean in the beginning I mean it was I felt that the 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 life within the flat was very much about centered around my mum and her needs Uh and more and more so and I mean, we had good moments too, because obviously there was a strong, was a strong bonding between the three of us. So she wasn't mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, she had periods where she was worse, and mm-hmm. and also she was drinking quite a lot. Okay. On top of it, she didn't really use medication as far as I remember. So it it wasn't all bad, and she had good periods, and yeah. and when she had those periods, you know, she was a quite, you know, 
uh, lively woman and warm and 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 stuff. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it was all about her. <laughs> so her mood set the the agenda, and uh, I think more and more so. So, but my relationship outside was changing. So in the beginning, I was quite okay. I mean, I was still able to be quite free outside uh -huh. but and also actually in school in the first year you know okay. in, when I was in school I was okay but then after after her sh her depressions and her her darker period got worse and she was more aggressive towards me and my fear how this might end you know that was taking a stronger hold of me because you know I was more and more yeah, dominated by fear. Were you concerned for your safety or for your mother? Uh, yeah, well, not my safety. I, I don't, I'm not sure if I was conscious of what the fear was. I think I was a fear and I was thinking of this a lot mm -hmm. because obviously, as you know, if you have difficulties in your childhood, this is something you have to deal with later. It doesn't so, go away. <laughs> it doesn't go away. So it's a constant process. So, but I think that my, I had a general fear of, chaos and that is a quite existential fear so maybe on the deeper level on an existential level I had a worry about my own safety but not like I was thinking she was going to kill us or harm us or, or you know put the house on fire <laughs> well she actually did once but I mean that was by accident you know she we, we woke up and she had prepared some Christmas because really really loved Christmas so Christmas was her good period so she was always making a lot of things. And that was nice. You know, there were nice periods. And she was making a lot of things and stuff. And she had made some for Advent. The, the light where you light one can, candle each Sunday up, up until Christmas. So anyway, she'd made this, self-made. And she had obviously had a couple of glasses of wine. The end, and then put it on. So we woke up in the middle of the night, that the whole living room was on fire because oh it had fallen word. down and, and the fireman was there. and But, you know, that was an accident, so I don't think <laughs> there was any intention to burn us all down. She was deteriorating. And that what made my, my mood and my psyche um, more fragile and more... Yeah. I, was, I was quite depressed. That, you know, my teenage years started, you know, 12, 12, 13 years. I was depressed. I didn't really, I felt I wasn't really engaging at school. I wasn't engaging with friends. I felt very different. And that culminated in her committing suicide. I'm sorry. When I was 16, the year before, I somehow decided to run away. I mean, not, but to go to college. So I went to this school on the other side of the country and, and that was, I realized, that was also a way of escaping her because it was quite bad, leaving my brother with her. And I think that, you know, on a, a subconscious level, I felt I wasn't worried about him again directly, but I felt that I was, you know, leaving him behind or abandoning him or, you know. You felt a responsibility for him, your brother. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yes, because, you know, she wasn't great to be around. Yeah. And that were that year was hard for him, you know. That was, and I was away, and I was relieved. But you know, the the really traumatic thing was that. So I was going to return end of May, and uh, uh, I talked to her on the twelfth of May in the evening, and she was really depressed. And my brother was away with some neighbors on a weekend trip. 
And um, I remember I told her, you know, I was only 16, but I was quite, you know, mature and, you know, used to talk to her about her problems because she had, had no filters. She talked to me about everything. So she used me, mm -hmm. like, from I was a kid. So, you know, I was very much <laughs> attuned to her problems. And, she, and then she said, you know, I felt that I've hit rock bottom now and I can't go any further. So that's only, you can only go upward from here, I suppose, she said. And I said something which I remembered quite clearly. Yes, I think you're right. But obviously you can also go a while along the bottom before you go up. I was just being quite logical. And that night or the day after on the 13th, you know, she committed suicide. Uh, oh. And my brother returning, she was, he was 11, returning from a weekend with the neighbors, he found her, you know, and that was, that was for me, um, you know, I always felt that I should have found her you know that was wrong that I kind of exposed him to that culmination of that difficult yeah had mm. you and your brother when you were growing up spoken about your mum's mental health together before that day mm, a little bit but not much I can't remember it so much how we spoke about it it wasn't really you know he was quite young uh, no, I think I was more protecting, protecting because I was exposed to her dialogue about it all the time. So I felt that I, my responsibility was to, sh you know, shield him from it, you know. And did you speak to anybody out with the home about it? So, I mean, one of the lifesavers for me, which I, you know, really was very important is I had a teacher when I was young, I mean, from the from the age of when we start school, from the age of seven, uh, and that's first six years that so we had the same teacher. So that is kind of yeah. primary, yeah. So from from seven to what twelve, I guess, uh, or whatever. I had this teacher, and I was starting school just when it was started to, you know, falling apart between my mother and father, and so that was kind of parallel with my first year of school. And she was so great, this woman. So I, I used to go after school and she was very patient. She let me stay and I talked about my mother's problems. She wasn't judgmental. I mean, she she was just listening, you know. She let me talk without saying that, without judging my mum. And that was really important, I think, because then I felt I could freely, because if she said, oh, you know, mother is not right, it's good, we should you know, we should involve somebody, I would have stopped, you know, I would have said, oh, it's all fine, because obviously you don't want intrusions, yeah. you know, you want to protect your parents, right? Yeah. Which is interesting because despite it being a difficult situation that was having such a profound impact on you, you still are, as a child, so protective of your family and your home and the idea of anybody else coming in and disrupting what is already, as you know, a disruptive situation anyway, but the idea of a further disruption is just terrifying. Yes. And I think, actually, for me, having that experience with her, I got very attached to her, you know, and I kept in touch with her later. And I, I think that, actually, that has helped me to have a certain uh, trust in the world. Because I think one of the main 
one of the big issues for children who are experiencing traumatic experience for their families and you don't have your needs met, that you have trust issues and relationship issues for the rest of your life, something you have to deal with because obviously relationship is something that is really yeah. difficult and you, you can't trust them. And I have that uh -huh. for sure in my intimate relationship. And but but in terms of still having capability to to trust the world, you know, yeah, I'm sure that she helped me with that by just being there. Yeah. If you have that lifeline, yeah, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, and some people don't for whatever reason they might be afraid to speak, like you said. Yes. Or it's interesting. I do some work, um, some research. Uh, in schools about talking about mental health and stigma and a lot of the young pupils who are secondary school pupil age will talk about not wanting to discuss mental health or mental illness with if they are having problems with anybody who's too close to them because mm. it they want somebody who's a bit of a step removed so like yes. a teacher or a, yes. a, a family friend or an auntie who um the somehow that that type of trust where they feel like they're less likely to uh, intrude or yes. um tell anybody else or and and, yeah. and they're also not confronted then with it every day because it's not a person who they're they're seeing at home or or it's their not their best friend anyway it's just interesting that um i think you're absolutely right i think that's it it's so important and i'm so pleased that you had somebody like that and mm. um did you ever speak to friends? You talked about um, your teacher wasn't judgmental. Did you ever speak to to friends or or you, you said you had your grandparents on your father's side? Did you ever speak to anybody else about it? Um, no. No. And was that the judgment that you were worried about or what? why did you not speak to them, do you think? I think that I felt that I didn't really have... I felt that I was too removed you know it was too too difficult for me personally to talk about it I think uh -huh. for my grandparents I don't you know I kind of realized that they're not the type who would understand and my parents on my, my mother's side there was too much drama there so I don't think and in terms of my friends I, I had nice good friends but I think that it was too difficult for me on a personal level or for, for me personally to talk about to hard to painful I yeah think. you know so I was very controlled as a child so I think that you know I, I didn't want to talk about things I didn't feel I could control so obviously this was a chaos in that world and I had no I was just trying to bear it really mm. it's an interesting word chaos that's a really good word to describe yeah it. chaos is it really good mm -hmm. and I, I realized you have that sort of deep fear of chaos because your parents are so chaotic and you feel that there is a an abyss <laughs> yeah of chaos you know so you might they might fall into they are may, might maybe already in it and you might fall into it if you don't not careful so I think that was that fear of chaos and the abyss of chaos yeah. has always been a driving force in my life and unfortunately you know life is chaotic right yeah so then you start to be scared of life that you can't control mm -hmm. then you sort of become so, you know, obsessed with controlled or you are obsessive with other people and try to control other people. But I think more more often, my case at least, you know, is more about controlling my own life and make sure that, you know, I'm not 
interrupted or that I can't, you know, that I'm not exposed to chaos. Yeah. And it's interesting because you say, you talk about, um, you know, again, the inside and the outside. And so within the home, you were experiencing what you're experiencing. And then out with the home, you weren't necessarily talking about it. You were getting on and you were do, going to your grandparents and going to school. And that in and of itself, on the one hand, can maybe add to that feeling of chaos because you're sort of leading almost two separate lives. And then the control that then comes from that, from wanting to, even though that feels chaotic, the control trying to keep those two, th- two lives separate and in the right box where they need to be. And it's only now as a, an adult looking back again, so much of, for me personally, is the looking back and realizing what I was feeling then and being able to understand it now as a grown-up. But um, the life at home with my my mum existed very separately to the rest of my life, even right up until when my mum passed away. She, you know, existed in a in a sphere and my life built around that sphere. And it's a very strange feeling. It feels like there's a bit of yourself that's there that not everybody necessarily knows about or knows much about yeah. and that mm. the majority of people weren't really engaging in. I'm being a wee bit abstract about it, but um, yeah, so my mum was at home by herself and with a severe and enduring mental illness and and I wasn't there often and when I was, I would always try and control what was happening at home and worry mm. about her and try and tell her to stop talking to stop talking to yourself, mom. Stop talking to yourself. Or you know, we're going to the shops. I'm like, right, you can't talk to yourself when we're at the shops. And she had no control over that, and I had no control over that. But I kept yeah. trying to to gain that control, and then that adds to that chaos. And then when you're living a life out with the home, where that's not there, that feels good, but it's always in the back of your mind. Chaos awaits. Chaos is, it just feels like chaos is everywhere, even when it's not. So yes. I can understand that word. That was a big ramble. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 but it's interesting. Yes, yes, for sure. When you are out of the, when the danger is over, let's say, when you kind of, when, you, when your life is not about your, mm. your parents' health issues anymore, you're still searching that feeling of control because that is a comfort comfort in your life right but actually it's stopping you from living I think it's important to you know to get that message across that you know to be let's say super capable is is also a coping mechanism absolutely because you become in a funny kind of way at a younger age you become independent in a way independent from your parent in a way that you wouldn't otherwise necessarily have had to and you spoke before about, um, just related to that, actually, you spoke before about feeling responsibility mm. for your brother. Did you feel responsibility? Or did you feel responsible for your for your mother and, and for her care? Because you talked there about feeling like a carer. And that is a big issue for children of parents with mental illness. Even if they still are at home with their parent, you know, they quite often are carers for their parent. Was that something you felt that you were or did you feel a, a sense of responsibility towards your mother? I think I did, you know, but it was somehow, 
incorporated in so many other feelings. And also that I felt, I wouldn't say, res I mean, responsible, specifically, resp but I felt that I was very, I was a part of her in a way, right? So I can't really answer that question because it's a, it's a little bit like, you know, the people have asked you later, you know, did you feel guilty? And I felt, well, I ne never felt guilty, but I mean, Jesus, guilt and shame is what I'm struggling with. All, so of course I did. But it's not like you can pinpoint and say, yes, you know, I felt, oh, it's my responsibility that my mother washes her hair, you know, or gets fat. It doesn't, wasn't like that. And it's also because, you know, she wasn't that helpless either. You know, she was quite, you know, fierce and strong. And she felt sometimes, very often as like an opponent that I had to fight with or protect myself. But, you know, I had to be there as a backup and I had to be aware and I had to sort of hold. It was more about taking care of my brother and I, you know, against yeah. this furia <laughs> of emotion or chaos of emotions, yeah. you know. Uh -huh. And you, you, you mentioned guilt and shame there and that you do feel that. Why, why is that? Yeah, that's a very hard question. I think it's also because I haven't really been dealing with the trauma. I've been, I've had a lot of therapy, but again, I haven't really found a good trauma therapy, which I think that I would be very ready to do now. Uh -huh. So I've been circling around it. So I haven't really grasped maybe where exactly does this guilt and shame come from. But you know, the shame of not being taken care of you know if you are not you don't feel loved or you're not taking proper your needs are not taken care of no you. that's interesting because so often thinking goes towards the guilt and the shame to do with uh the child feeling guilt and shame because of the parent or the way they were with the parent but actually towards themselves towards themselves and as a result of the behavior the lack and the, of, the mental illness of the parents. Yes, yeah. the lack of care as well, you know, the basic lack of care that actually is a consequence of the mental illness. And when you're a child, you don't know that that's not because of you. A, ch a right. child internalizes everything yes, and thinks exactly. everything is because of them or it's their fault. Yeah. And it's just so important for children to know that regardless of how their parents' mental illness or carer's mental illness is presenting, it's not their fault. I mean, we, here we are both reflecting now as grown-ups yeah. on that. And there are so many children who are not able to do that as a child. You can't no. reflect and understand as a child. No. And in an ideal world, there will be more help and support for these children because at the moment there is little. And certainly for me, there was a lot, there were, there was medical input with my mother. But when it came to me, I was an, I'm an only child. Um, you know, the, the child of the parent, the services that are in place and the support for them is well, it was none for me. So um, in terms of social services and healthcare, I had supportive family, but it's difficult. There are a lot of children who must feel very alone. Yes. And what do we do with that? I know. Well, hopefully this will help. You know, awareness um, always helps. When you were young, um, when you were a child and you're living with your mother, was there any impact on your mental well-being at the time? Did you have any mental health problems yourself at that point as a result of what was going on? I think depression. I was mm -hmm. depressed. But I was, you know, I was functioning. So 
I think I was depressed for a couple of years there from maybe, maybe the age of 13 maybe to 15 and then I went to this school um, still being depressed but feeling a bit better mm -hmm. there because obviously I was away and doing stuff and then she died and that was a new that was a, you know that was a new world then obviously because then I returned um, I was then 16 my father who was a severe alcoholic he was then intended to come and back and live with us but that didn't work at all so because he was drinking too much and he had his own problems so he wasn't really mm -hmm. living there much and then but I didn't want to say that so I sort of I together with him we lied to the child services because they were there at that point you know oh yes mother gone two kids you know who is there mm -hmm. as a caretaker and we said yes he is <laughs> you know yeah. so we lied because I didn't we don't I wasn't really scared then that my brother and I was sent to foster homes and mm -hmm. separated so I wanted to stay in that flat with him with or without my dad and best case him being out just giving us money that was my plan yeah I mean you know you can imagine it wasn't great for any of us and I but later when yeah when he was when my father came back and I was moving out and my, my brother was a bit older and I was trying to make my own life then more of my problems manifest then my depression came back I started to develop this eating disorder, not like full scale, not like it dominated mm -hmm. my life, but it was a, yeah, it was a retreat. You know, I used it mm -hmm. as a sort of a kind of a self-harming thing, mm -hmm. but that, you know, that you do to mm -hmm. sort of have a release of pain, I guess. And control. I mean, it and control for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. But not never, I mean, I've been lucky in that sense that I've, I've never stopped functioning. I've been, you know, I pursuing my goals. I wanted to be an actor. I did it. Didn't exactly lead me where I wanted to be, but you know, I always had goals, and I that gave me a sense of purpose and meaning and something I would like to, uh, how can I say, communicate, which I think is important because I think I talked about, you know, you know, the danger of being super capable, which I think is an issue, you know, for for. For care, for caretakers, <laughs> children caretakers. Yeah. But there is also another thing that I felt very strongly that I was quite, I felt really strong in, and independent in those years when, you know, when we were talked about, oh, do you need help? No, 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 I can live with my brother. I was 16, 17. I can do everything. Because you are really strong and you have developed this sense of uh, independency, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to give yourself credit for that and be proud of that because you are actually developing super skills. You get immensely strong in some areas and consequently weak in others. But nevertheless, these really strong areas are also your force and that will help you to be a resource in your life. And I think yeah. it's really important to acknowledge that and be proud of it. Absolutely. I think that's such an important message. And the resilience that is building that you might not see mm. straight away is being yeah. built by these experiences. Yes. And even if, yes. because so many children of parents with mental illness, such as yourself, and I've had experiences as well of periods of anxiety or depression or struggling with your own mental well-being, 
these experiences as well are building strength and building resilience. Yes. Yes. And yes. It's yes, it's, it's rem- trying to remember that. Oh my goodness, I just you're so when you talk about it you're I mean I can really relate to to your demeanor and the way that you talk about it because that that strength that we were just talking about I think really impacts on that as well. But you are you are calm and matter of fact about it and you are very resourceful and you've taken these experiences and moved them through your life in a really positive way. But is this the 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 calm and the matter of factness have you always been that way or is that something you feel has been cultivated through these experiences? Well, bit of both, I guess. I think I came with something and then, you know, it's it's sort of enhanced. But so I think that that was developed quite early mm-hmm. um, because obviously, as you know, mental illness doesn't start overnight. You know, there was problems in the relationship. There was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of chaos already from a very early stage. And who knows how much love my mother was capable to give me as a young child anyway, yeah. you know. So I think that that feeling of be having to be controlled and protected may have started in, in infancy, I think. You know, that that's how I look at it. And I think that, I think that, um, so yeah, but again, you know, that is something that I'm struggling with, that kind of control and stoicness, because I'm more... You know, now I feel that this is, I don't need the control and the stoicness anymore. It's just hindering me. I am capable. It's such a deep neurological pattern in me that I'm still using it, even though it's stopping me from living more. So I would say, yes, I do come across it, but this is something now I am working to get rid of (laughs) a bit more, you know. What I'm really happy for, because I am, Again, I am happy for who I am. I wouldn't be different. So I'm not wishing for a different life. That being that ability to be quite calm when it's storming, I think that's something I've had from I was quite mm-hmm. little. That has also protected my inner life. And I've done that. And I think that enables me to Yeah, to be creative and you know, you know, and also not being afraid of, you know, going into directing and writing when I was more than thirty and starting a school and, you know, doing big changes in my life, moving abroad, you know, not I'm not so easily scared off. And I think that is actually um something that I've developed because of of my history, let's say. It's interesting as well that you say now that you in terms of the control it's not, it's nice to get to that point. So the control has really served you very well to get to this point. And now you, it's nice to hear you say, actually, I don't need that anymore. You know, that's, that's. And more than anything, I need to get rid of it because if not, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to have a rich life. And I, you know, it has to do with everything mm-hmm. physical, physical and, you know, because if this is body mind, that's, we you know, it's together, it work together. Absolutely. Right. So, so, um, Talking about infancy, because it's a really interesting thing um, for me. How young were you when you first recall an an experience that might have indicated that that your mother or father were uh, experiencing a mental illness? Well, I think it started so early. I can't say there was a moment where, you know, it was part of the normal behavior there. Okay. So it was just always there. Yes, and, you know, I wasn't really aware that my mother was mental ill until she 
committed. To, I mean, I was, you know, I was mm, defending her behavior towards myself and to others right up until, yeah, just before her suicide, I think. before Just before I went to that school, when I was around 15, 16, yeah. when I realized that this is not... It's interesting, this idea of infancy and when a child first becomes aware. Um, my mum's um, diagnosis was schizoaffective disorder. I'm not sure if we had mentioned that before, but... I don't really know what that is. What is it? So schizoaffective disorder is sort of in simple terms, is a combination um, where somebody has symptoms both of schizophrenia and also bipolar disorder. My mum experienced psychosis and hallucinations and also uh, depression, um, paranoia, anxiety, the whole shebang. <laughs> um, so she had, this was going on since before I was born and after I was born. And interestingly, uh, I think I think I was very, very young when I and I only realize now that I realized then because it's normal, isn't it, to you at the time? You don't know any different. Yeah. And I, I had very, you know, I grew up in a loving home with loving, loving parents. My mum, I always say this about my mum, and, and and I know she was a very kind person. She had a very kind and good heart. She. I, I really don't feel like her mental illness didn't define her and never, ever did for me. When I think about my mom, her mental illness was not her in my, you know, for me, ever. Right. Okay. She was always mm. just my mom. And she, in spite of that, she was a very good mom. And the reason was because she was, you know, she had a good heart and she, you know, I, I, I felt loved. And I realized that I am very, very lucky for that. In saying that, I realize now that her... The, pre the outward presentation of her illness, so her symptoms that included the, the volatility and the talking to herself and the hallucinations, for all it, it, it was what I knew, it was impacting on me even when I was very small. I think I, I remember being three and developing uh, a real anxiety around vomiting. So I used to, and, and that has stayed with me <laughs> to this day. So... I am terrified of um, of being sick. And I recently learned that the name for that is metaphobia. And so I, from a very young age, would panic and start to panic and worry about being sick and didn't like to be in spaces where there were a lot of people. Um, and it sort of subsided. But then when I was a teenager, it, it came back and I found it difficult to go to school, to get on the school bus to be in class so doing exams I'd have to sit at the back and I would get myself in a real panic I never was sick I should state it was all anxiety yeah. my my father died um when I had just turned 11 and due to my mum's illness I moved to stay with my aunt and uncle and my two cousins which I was hugely fortunate to do um and I am eternally grateful um but it was when I was a teenager that it really came back and um, the anxiety and the panic. And I ended up speaking to my aunt and uncle, um, made sure that I spoke to a psychologist and talked through what was going on. And it was all these, it was all because of my mom, not my mom's fault. I'm not blaming my mom, but the, the way no, that no. as a child I had processed what was happening and her illness I had never spoken about it and I was worrying about her all of the time 
all of the time, trying to control, because I moved away after my dad died. I was then worrying about her at home on her own, seeing her at weekends, trying to control everything all of the time, worrying what, what was happening with her, trying to stop her talking to herself, trying, you know, trying to rationalize, trying to make her better all the time. And and that had been there since I was very, very small, because the first time I had any symptoms of anxiety that I remember I was three years old and it's just mm. really interesting to me to hear you say that you know it was just what what your life was that was just what happened mm. and so you can't actually mm. pinpoint because it just you know you grew up with parents that that had these illnesses and it that was that was your life and you don't know and there's nobody else to talk to and if they're not talking to you about it you just think this is what it is. This is life, and then, and then you had your own, you know, struggles uh, that have come from that. And it's just very interesting that mm. it, it it really start, it impacts. These are not things that only impact the the person that has the condition or the illness. It's a, it impacts the whole family and the children. Yes, from my, my project as a child and as a young teenager before I before she died, you know, it was very much about, you know, making this family happy and whole again, you know. All my focus was around these parents yeah. and trying to help them out in a way or trying to make the family situation into something that I, it wasn't. Trying to mould it, yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah. to mould it, exactly, based on what it is, mm -hmm. but not never judging them. I. I mean, I started to judge my father, his drinking much later, mm -hmm. you know. I was always trying to help him out. Yeah. Just because you're in that situation doesn't mean that you're not also sometimes the person who is judging. <laughs> so right. that's a, certainly a, something that stays with me. The always trying to change my mom. I feel now I wish I could have a conversation with myself back then and say, stop trying to change her she this is who, part of who she is and you need to embrace it and be proud rather than being embarrassed all the time and and I'm sad for that because I should have been very proud of her and I should have let her know that a lot more often than I did that stays with me but that's all that's I mean superhuman though if you you have that cap capability of being proud of a mom who's certainly behaving you know very difficult for you then why would you I mean that would make you superhuman yeah. and the molding you know you're saying about trying to make your life into um or your family life into something that it's not as you were doing too that as a child as you grow up and you get older and you you become a teenager it's sort of confounded by the fact that you are witnessing other family lives that at yeah. least on the surface of it to you seem to be much better and and much more how a family should be so it's the trying to yeah. make it make it comparable make it more like more like my friends look at their family and you know mm -hmm. I want to be more like them why can't you be more like them mum or dad yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. and uh, certainly for you having a sibling I, I mean I only had to worry about myself and I have huge respect for for you having your younger brother. Yes, but you know, that has also, I was not alone. I think that, you know, the fact that you have a sibling that you can actually take care of, that gives you a purpose, right? So 
I think that was also really helping me. You know, I felt, yes, that relationship has never been easy since, you know, it's something we have to work on, but we are very close and we were certainly very close then, you know, and we were in it together. Of course, it's taking a toll to, to take care of a sibling that young age, but it also gives you a sense of purpose, right? So I think that without it, I don't know, it might be what saved me actually or gave me some sanity or you know built my character or yeah and and that feeling that you know even though loneliness is something I have or feeling that I'm abandoned or um, not belonging is a theme in my life not belonging anywhere I've never been feeling so alone that has threatened my life or existence and I think that is because of my brother because I know that we have that kind of there is a bond there that is unbreakable that's so wonderful and i am um envious i think yeah 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 it's wonderful to have a sibling i have two cousins who i grew up with and i call them my sisters and they are in my heart they are my sisters but they haven't experienced and and, you know and they loved my mom but my my, my life with my mom was very separate to my relationship with them really um and so that bond that you have with your brother is, and that shared experience is shared experience. very um, something to treasure, I guess, isn't it? Yes. Something that children or, or, you know, who are in the similar situation, you know, it's nice to, good to be aware of too, that there is that feeling, that shared experience, even though it can feel troublesome to be, you know, with, with siblings for for some for different reasons. You know that shared experience <laughs> is really yeah important. Camilla, thank you so so very much for being here and speaking with me today and for sharing your story. It was wonderful, and I really genuinely could talk to you all day about it. And you know, if we do another series, it would be lovely to speak to you again if you would be willing to come back and share yeah, with I'd us. I'd be happy to. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It's been great to talk to you, Pamela. I enjoyed it very much and. You know, these are things, every time you talk about these things, you discover or realize something, details yourself. So it's always very valuable to do that. You know, I'm really happy if I can share something that is um, useful to others. So Well, it certainly is. And it's been a privilege to talk to you. So thank you very, very much. A huge thanks to Camilla Strom Henriksen for speaking so candidly about her experiences growing up. I absolutely love these conversations and I really hope you're getting as much out of listening to them as I am out of recording them. Visit OurTime.org.uk for support and resources for children and families affected by parental mental illness. You can follow them on social media at OurTimeCharity and we've also put lots more links and places to find information and support in the show notes. Also, if you feel like you're struggling with mental health or you've been affected by anything in this episode, it's really important you speak to someone. There are links to help in the show notes, but also you can contact your GP, the Samaritans on 116123 or Childline 0800 1111. Thank you so much for being with us today. Subscribe to our feed so you get future episodes automatically downloaded. And if you know someone who'd benefit from hearing these stories we're sharing, please let them know we're here. That's really important. We really want people to know that they're not alone. This is a Bespoken Media production with music and sound design by Joe Cox. See you next time. Mm-hmm.